today we are going all the way back to the Old Testament and starting a new series in Judges, the book of Judges. So, I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, Dan did a, a series on Judges. I don't know if you guys remember that. And, um, you know, this is, this is really going to be an expansion on that. Judges is kind of a funny book because, and I say funny, but it's, it's really interesting because it kind of highlights a lot of the flaws in the Israelite community that were happening 20, let's say 3,000 years ago, that still a lot of those kinds of same themes are applicable today. So even though I say we're going back to the Old Testament and it's thousands of years in the past, a lot of the things that the Israelites were struggling with back then are completely applicable to today. Um, and, and as you all know, and look, we just finished Romans. And I love Romans. It's, you know, of course, one of the great um, <clears throat> theological writings of all time of human history. But I'm a history guy and I love archaeology and I like, and I like, you know, talking about ruins and artifacts and manuscripts and languages and empires and all that kind of stuff. So today, this is going to be a lot more in my element. <laughs> um, and maybe that'll bore the heck out of you. I don't know. Uh, if you start to sleep, I won't wake you up. Uh, we'll, we'll jostle you at the end here. That's, that's good. That's good. Maybe I can edit that out. I don't know. But. <laughs> you heard two guys, didn't you, that uh, went to heaven, the gatekeeper came and said, give your name and, your and, and where you lived in, in your occupation. first guy came in and he says, I was living in New York City, gave his name. I was, he said, I was a cab driver. So he gave me a golden staff and a silk robe and said, go on in. And the second guy gave his name, said he was a minister in Texas. And uh, he gave him a cloth robe a wooden staff and said, go in. He says, I don't quite understand. He says, I have the biggest congregation in Texas, he said. Well, he said, it's like this. He said, when you preached, people slept. When that guy drove, people prayed. <laughs> <laughs> Lorna, I love you. Just boom, right there. That's awesome. Well, yeah, so we'll see what happens here. We'll see which one it is, uh, if I can drive like a maniac for you. So, you know, I think before we get into the Word, I'm going to start with a little bit of the background of how, you know, we get to Judges. Uh, if you've thumbed through your Bible, we go through the whole law, which is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, <clears throat> then Joshua, <clears throat> and then Judges. And so what has happened? Brief review of what has happened in the world. Um, leading up to this book. And as you know, I like two things, timelines and maps. We're back. Uh, here we are. Timelines and maps, right? I, I've been going through withdrawal. I'm sure you have too. <clears throat> uh, but here's our timeline. So let's just kind of start way back here. So way, way back, 2000 BC, give or take, is the time of Abraham. This is the time when the covenants um, were starting to be given to God's people from God. Um, God is starting to reveal himself to the people who will become the Israelite nation. <clears throat> and before we get to the map, <clears throat> way back here we have Abraham, 2000 BC, give or take. Uh, let me just start this off by saying we're not really sure when all of this happened, okay? Now, if you crack open your <clears throat> NIV, you know, enhanced study Bible and, and, and you open it to a timeline or a map, you'll see very exact dates in there. Now, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I don't know how the heck they came up with some of those very exact dates. You will see things like <clears throat> 19, 
1919 BC, Abraham, you know, um, receives covenant from God. Well, you know what? We just don't know. We just don't exactly know exactly when all of this has happened. What I'm going to tell you today about the period of the judges is also a little bit fuzzy. You know, the further back in history you get, the more what a, a theologian will say, insecure you get about dates. And so this is just very rough. But about 2000 BC, we have Abraham receives his, his covenants and instructions from God. Then uh, a few hundred years later, we have the Egyptian <laughs> sojourn. So the people of God go to Egypt. Um, they're invited there um, by the Pharaoh and by Joseph. And then they stay. And for about 400 years, one, two, three, four, for about 400 years, people of God are in Egypt. <clears throat> well, that ends. That ends, of course, with the Exodus. And Moses leads his people out of Egypt and into the promised land. <clears throat> and that happens. And again, no one's really sure when that happened. There's, there's two theories, an old date and a new date, or an early date and a late date theory. But both of those happen right around, let's say, 1400 to 1200 BC. So that's kind of this rough area here. I draw hard lines, but it's fuzzy. So for the purposes of this class, I kind of stick to the early date theory. I believe that it probably happened around 1400 BC. Um, so that's about this period right here. Well, once they make it into the promised land, let's talk about our map. I, try, I tried very hard today. Uh, and it probably looks nothing like the real thing. But, but, but here we have the Mediterranean Sea. And of course, um, almost this entire class revolves around the Mediterranean Sea and the, and the lands and nations that, that existed around this area. You can see the boot of the Italian peninsula. I wrote Rome in parentheses. Why did I write Rome in parentheses? It doesn't even exist yet. There's seven hills in the middle of the Italian peninsula. There's probably some Etruscans living there trading, right? There is no such thing as the city of Rome. So as far as we know, this wasn't even established until about the 8th century BC. So this is, this is hundreds of years later. But here's the Italian peninsula. But during this period, which I am going to say for the, the argument of this class is around 1400 BC, <clears throat> we have a few big empires that are ruling the, the world right now. First one is this one, the Mycenaean Empire. Who knows, who knows anything about the Mycenaeans? I think you might know. Where do you notice that they are? Of course, uh, given that this is a horrible map, it's Greece. These are the first Greeks. At least the first people that we have writing from that looks and sounds, we think, Greek. The Mycenaean Empire, um, succeeded the Minoan Empire, which was based out of Crete. So the Mycenaeans have kind of control of the Aegean Sea, this whole area here. So they're, they're a really big empire. The ones next to them are the Hittites. What country is this modern country? Turkey. Turkey. So Mycenaeans, Hittites, some people that will become very important later in Israel's history are way over here in what's northern Iraq, southern Turkey, this area. This is the Assyrian Empire. Mesopotamia, this is, you know, way over here, the city of Ur. This is where Abraham came from, probably about 600 years earlier, give or take. Mesopotamia, the land between two rivers. We have Arabia. We have the great Egyptian empire. So when 
when the Israelites leave in the Exodus out of Egypt, we think it was during what's called the second intermediate period in Egyptian history. Now, all empires throughout all of history surge and wane, surge and wane, and, 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 or they're conquered and they disappear. So in Egypt, one of the oldest empires on earth has gone through a couple of periods of this rising and falling. And during the Exodus, when Moses and his people left, we think it was during this period where things fell apart in Egypt. And we know from the Bible they fell apart, and history corroborates this, that around 1500 BC, things completely fell apart in Egypt. Egypt was taken over largely by their neighbors. Um, Their economy collapsed, their military collapsed. And this is one reason why, we think, we know, that the Israelites were able to leave And of course, we believe that's divine. Well, after the Israelites leave and they go to this tiny little strip here of land that we call Canaan, today is called the nation of Israel, it's tiny. I mean, it really is just a few miles across and a little bit wider, or I mean a little bit taller. After the Israelites have made their way to Canaan, the Egyptians kind of reassemble themselves and they re-strengthen and they are are in what's called the new kingdom now. And this is, again, another resurgent period for Egypt. So we have some, some pretty strong empires. And we have the, the, Egypt, or I'm sorry, the Israelites. And of course, here's the Sinai Peninsula, <clears throat> the Sea of Reeds. You know, essentially, we think that the Egyptian, I'm sorry, the Israelite exodus left from Goshen, which is the land right here in the east of Egypt. And I'll just draw this dotted line. The Israelites went to Mount Sinai, somewhere here in the Sinai Peninsula, not exactly sure where that is. Wandered in the desert for how long? 40 years. Until finally, Moses dies on Mount Nebo, and a new leader is crowned, and his name was who? Joshua. Joshua is crowned the new leader. Joshua and Caleb become the only two Israelites that we know of who left Egypt were allowed to go into the promised land and settle there. Their first city that they conquer on their way to enter Canaan is what? Jericho. Walls of Jericho fall. <laughs> uh, I think it's right there. Sorry. Across the Jordan, Jordan River, conquer Jericho. And that is the first of many towns that they are going to conquer in this strip of land called Canaan. Okay. <clears throat> So Joshua lives for decades. He rules. They conquer a lot of the towns. Now, now, you know, again, this looks small on this map, but if you were to blow this up, you'll realize there are literally hundreds of little towns in the region that we call Canaan today, and they're inhabited by lots of different kinds of people. Canaanites, Philistines, Hittites, a kind of Hittite, Jebusites, Perizzites, Menizzites. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> blah, 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 zites. <laughs> lots of different kinds of people with lots of different kinds of religion. They worship different gods. They have um, many different kinds of cultural practices. But here's the first question I have for you. First of all, I just told you that they conquer a town called Jericho and they destroy it. And now they're going and conquering other towns. Why are they doing that? Why are they not just showing up and saying, hey, all, let's live in peace and harmony? God told him to. And I think the reason, well, the reasoning behind it was that he didn't want the cultures of the pagans to enter yeah. with his culture. 
yeah. he wanted purity. Yeah, he wanted purity. And that's the struggle of judges because yeah. he obviously didn't follow his rule. And I love you, Steve. You could teach this class. <laughs> uh, you, you've taken my thunder. That's the second half. We're done. Uh, <laughs> you answered it. You can go home, right? Go have more donuts. Um, this is exactly right. Now, look, a lot of people, especially in our modern day, maybe some with a bit of a more liberal view of, of history, will look at what happens in the Old Testament and either be abhorred by it, which they kind of rightly should be, but they will, they will look upon this saying, you believe in a God that believes in, in genocide. You believe in a God that believes in murdering people in conquering villages and burning them to the ground how can, how can you love a god who is so hateful and angry and i guess that is a that is a question that leads to responses that are more than i can i can handle in an hour but what i will say to this is this i want you to keep in mind a few things first of all god is the creator of all it is his creation he has the absolute right to do whatever he wants to with it <laughs> period that literally is all i really need to say but if you want to dig deeper you need to look at the fact that what, what, is, what is happening? Look at the big picture here, the big picture. We literally have gone from, in 2000 BC, 70 people who can call themselves the chosen people of God. A group of 70 people who migrate to Egypt under the protection of the Egyptian empire and grow into a group of people that we think is how big? Several million people. We have, in just a few hundred years, folks, we have gone from 70 people to, we think, about 2 million. Now, God calls them his chosen people, his elect, and he has revealed himself to them. What Steve said is absolutely right. Now you have, in the womb of Egypt, incubated a group of people that need to be trained who God really is, they need to be revealed who God really is. Um, in this period of the Exodus, right before the period of Judges, we have the law is given. And we have just spent like, you know, 16 plus weeks talking about the law. The law is essentially the written commandments and ordinances and direction for this community to live their lives. Legal rules, social rules, food laws, laws about how to interact with other nations, so on and so forth. So all of the kind of the details of how they should, they should live their lives are, are set down here. Now, you have them inheriting a land that according to the Old Testament, God has said, this is your land. This is my land. This is what's called the promised land that I have promised to give you. I promised to give your ancestor Abraham 600 years ago, okay? It's yours. Take it. And like what Steve said is absolutely right. The reason that he said this is because he wants this land to be owned solely and completely by the people of God, the chosen people who know the one true God, who in the Old Testament is called what? Yahweh. Yahweh. Jehovah. Jehovah. That's the Latin form of Yahweh. What else? Yep, Jehovah Jireh, my provider. El. El. And the plural of that? Elohim. Elohim. In other ways of saying it, I am. Um, <clears throat> El Shaddai. There's, there's many forms, but they all refer to one God who, 
whose name is really the YHWH of the Old Testament Yahweh or Jehovah. And this land is not inhabited. First of all, it's not empty. There may be several million people living here who have nothing to do with Yahweh. They have detestable practices. They worship gods like Shemash or Baal or Molech. If you know anything about these gods, these are, these are gods, um, first of all, that have a lot of <clears throat> sexual uh, uh, violence and impurity. They have uh, just violence. If you know about Molech, this was a god of fire. And if you wanted to appease the god of fire, you would sacrifice your baby children to him burning alive to get some kind of favor from him. Baal, the god of thunder and lightning, uh, the, the adherents of that religion would cut themselves. They would sacrifice humans. There's a lot of human sacrifice. I should probably just call that out. <laughs> These are very, very detestable practices. They were just peace-worthy and Yes, that's it. That's it. Yep. Very good, sir. So we have some people, and, and to focus on that, they're not kumbaya. These are not kumbaya people by any stretch of the imagination. You have to remember this period of history is conquer or be conquered. This is not like the state system we have today where everyone goes to the United Nations and they argue and they, you know, you suck, no, you suck, but they don't really, you know, they're not killing each other by the millions <clears throat> like they used to. This is a period where you get a knife, you get a spear, you go out, and that guy's got a knife and a spear, and if you don't kill him, he's going to kill you. It's an era of the economy of plunder. The economy of this period is not based on insurance uh, quotes and mortgage you know, financing and the stock market. This is an economy of, if I don't go and take your stuff, you're going to come and take my stuff. <clears throat> and it is an extremely violent area here. Um, it's inhabited by some people called the Sea Peoples. At least during this period, there are some people called the Sea Peoples that we think came from Crete, and from there we're not exactly sure, probably the Aegean. They settle here. They come to be known as the, one of the greatest enemies of the Canaanite or the Israelites ever. Do you know what they're called? Philistines. <clears throat> the Philistines. Violent warrior people. There's another important aspect of world history here that's unfolding. We are, we are towards the end of a great age of civilization. If you think back to your middle school, you know, or high school Western Civ classes, human history is broken up into ages. And one is called the Stone Age or the Neolithic. <clears throat> then there's a couple of new ages that come after that. What comes after the Stone Age? Bronze Age, yes. You didn't know you were going to get so much history. You're like, dude, I just came for like some prayer. Yeah. I don't even have the textbook for this class. Well, you do. We are at the end of a period called the Bronze Age. What does the Bronze Age mean? Yes. Bronze. Rodney knows. What is bronze made of? No, not iron. It's copper and it's a softer metal. 
10. Ten. Yep. We'll call this bronze. I'm sorry to call you out. No, that's all right. <laughs> bronze age. And I didn't use your Greek name. I'm sorry. Herodotus. Uh, we decided to. <laughs> bronze age. Bronze is, if you go to museums, really bronze, you don't really see a whole lot of bronze anymore. <clears throat> um, you'll see it in statues because it was very common for people to cast um, sculptures and statues in bronze in the 19th and early 20th centuries. But way back in this period of history, lots, pretty much tools, the best tools were made of bronze. It's a soft, softer metal of copper and tin. And um, <clears throat> brass is, is a, um, a metal made of copper and zinc. So you're probably familiar with brass, but copper and tin is bronze. <clears throat> People would make tools, axes, weapons, shields, helmets, anything that needed to be really hard so I can either do a job through work or I could, I could attack and kill people or defend myself. They were made of bronze. And so the cultures of the era, all of the cultures of the Mediterranean are using bronze at this period. To, and, and primarily, the fact that we care about it was they were using it to wage war against each other. Well, we are coming to the end of the Bronze Age, and Rodney kind of alluded to a new metal that's now being made that people are learning to mine and craft into weapons which are far superior to bronze, and what is that? We are entering the Iron Age. <coughs> now the, ooh, it's a little bit early. Let's do it over here. It's right about here. This is a period where we start to find, and, and in fact, in the whole world, the prevalence of iron spears and weapons and chariots, weapons, vehicles, are, guess where, in the whole world, guess where they're starting to appear the most? Right here. May have been brought by the sea peoples, we're not exactly sure. But all of a sudden, people start using, we start to find tools and implements of the Iron Age here. I'm skipping way ahead. But, and this is kind of a giveaway, the, the people, the Israelites will not fully conquer and subdue the people of Canaan. And one reason is for this very reason, because some of them, including the Philistines, are using these far superior weapons that the Israelites will not learn to use themselves until the time of David. And 1000 BC is roughly the time of King David. And it's David who learns to use this new technology and use it effectively, and that's one reason why God gave over the people of, of Canaan to him and why he was so successful. But in this period, they're not being used by the Israelites. One last thing before we get into the word is, well, you just told me, Brian, that there's a lot of these empires here that are surrounding Israel. Well, another thing we know about this this piece of land here is what? Why is this so strategically important for all these empires? There's there's food. Mm -hmm. Think about think about what's out here. <laughs> there's no saguaro cacti in Arabia. I just drew this, but you know what? Right? That's a cactus. This is desolate. This is, this is arid. You can't go through here. I mean, you could, but you'd die. So what does that kind of force people to go? Where are they going? This is the highway, dude. This is the highway between the north and the south of the Mediterranean. And there's all kinds of people coming and going through here. But we know from history that the Israelites are 
fairly successful in establishing themselves in this area. <clears throat> well, as it turns out, we are towards the end of what's called the Bronze Age. So I just told you about all of these great empires that have existed up to this point. <clears throat> we are getting to the end of that. And something we'll talk about a little later in Judges is what we call the Late Bronze Age Collapse. Has anyone ever heard of that before? I may have said it once or twice. <clears throat> and I'm going to draw it right here. <clears throat> Late Bronze Age Collapse. Well, again, we'll talk more about this later. This is a period of history where every single empire I've written up here falls apart. We're getting to that period. If all of these empires are falling apart, what do they have very little time to do? Attack each other. <laughs> if they're all busy trying to take care of whatever's going on in their country, they have very little time to worry about this little strip of land here with these people who don't even have iron weapons, are not really posing much of a threat to them. So Israel in this period is largely ignored, and that is a very good thing. It is a very good thing because it gives the people of God time to create their culture, to establish their foothold on Canaan, which will become Israel, and to be left largely alone, except for a Egyptian pharaoh called Merneptah, and we will talk about him in a few weeks too. But largely think about this. We now have people leaving us alone. We're establishing ourselves in this area, and... <clears throat> We're conquering. And if you remember the book of Joshua, if you want to just remember and, and review that, there was a lot of war being waged on all of those little towns in there. Good morning. That brings us to Judges. And right before Judges 1 starts, we have the death of Joshua. Joshua, the anointed leader of the Israelite nation, dies and is buried in the Promised Land. And right at that point, we are now going to pick up in Judges 1. And so we do have the microphone we're going to use to record that, um, and we'll hand that to you. Let's go ahead and read. <clears throat> and let me just warn you that there are a lot of names in here that you've never read before. It's okay. Just try your best. Um, you don't have to be exact with this. Uh, just give it your best shot. And try not to lose sight of what you're reading. It, it might get very easy for you to keep thinking about the names that you're reading, but think about the big picture as you're reading this, what's actually happening. Let's do 1 to 16. I'll break it up and not, not torture you too bad. Let's do 1 to 16 to start us off. Who would like to do that for us? Okay, so after Joshua died, the Israelites asked the Lord, who will be first to go and fight for us against the Canaanites? The Lord said to them, the tribe of Judah will go. I have handed the land over to them. The men of Judah said to the men of Simeon, their relatives, come and help us fight the Canaanites for our land. If you do, we will go and help you fight for your land. So the men of Simeon went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord handed over the Canaanites and the Perizzites to them, and they defeated 10,000 men at the city of Bezek. There they found Adonai Bezek, the ruler of the city, and found him. The men of Judah defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites, but Adonai Bezek ran away. The men of Judah chased him, and when they caught him, they cut off his thumbs and big toes. Adonai Bezek said, Seventy kings whose thumbs and big toes had been cut off used to eat scraps that fell from my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. The men of Judah took Adonai Bezek to Jerusalem, and he died there. Then the men of Judah fought against Jerusalem and captured it. They attacked with their swords and burned the city. 
Later, they went down to fight the Canaanites who lived in the mountains in the dry country to the south and in the western hills. The men of Judah went to fight against the Canaanites in the city of Hebron, which used to be called Kirith Arba, and they defeated Sheshi, Ahaman, and Telmai. Then they left there and they went to fight against the people living in Debir. In the past, Debir had been called Kirith Sefer. Before attacking the city, Caleb said, I will give Aska, my daughter, as a wife to the man who attacks and captures the city of Kirith Sefer. Othniel, son of Kenez, Caleb's younger brother, captured the city, so Caleb gave his daughter Aska to Othniel to be his wife. When Aska came to Othniel, she told him to ask her father for a field. When she got down from her donkey, Caleb asked her, What do you want? So Aska answered him, Do me a special favor, since you have given me land in southern Canaan, also give me springs of water. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. The Kenite people, who were from the family of Moses' father-in-law, left Jericho, the city of palm trees. They went with the men of Judah to the desert of Judah to live with them there in southern Judah near the city of Arad. Thank you. <laughs> nice job, by the way. What do you guys take away from this passage? Still fighting to be done. Yep. And when you say fighting to be done, why are they fighting? Yes. Fighting. Conquering. Yep. What else? What else sticks out to you in this passage? Because they still haven't, they just conquered Jerusalem. Ah, we have a reference to Jerusalem. Jerusalem right about here. (coughs) Passage here. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem also and took it. They put it to the sword and set it on fire. But guess what? Do they keep it? They didn't occupy it. Um, yep, okay. What else? Ooh, this is a good question. So, in Joshua, there is a passage in Joshua 6, verse 17. It says... The city and all that is in it are to be devoted to the Lord. What did Joshua mean by that? It's the cities of Canaan that they are conquering. So when when the Israelites go into a city, a pagan city, and are told to devote it to the Lord. Kill everything. Kill everything. Thank you, sir. Supposed to kill him. They're all supposed to be wiped out. So they're starting to do things that the people they're conquering were doing. Yeah. Cutting off the thumbs and big toes. And why would they cut off the thumbs and big toes, Rodney? Well, it makes it difficult to eat and difficult to walk. And difficult to? Do every bodily Fight. Yeah. And every bodily function, yes. <laughs> but it makes them incapable to be warriors. But like Steve is saying... They didn't go far enough. And again, I know this rubs a lot of people the wrong way, but God commanded it. 
And he commanded it for a reason. Because why? They let the people, they didn't, they didn't kill everyone in Jerusalem, and they didn't occupy it. And then what happens? The Jebusites are some tenacious people. <laughs> city of Jabus, so Jerusalem is called the city of Jabus, and, and the editors of the Old Testament have gone back and, and said, this is Jerusalem, because some people at the time would have known what Jabus meant. At that time, it is still called Jabus. It is full of Jebusites, and they are tenacious people. But they don't kill them all, and they don't occupy it. This will turn out to be a huge mistake huge mistake. God commanded them to do it, and they didn't do it. They're maiming, but they're not wiping out. And then, of course, they didn't plunder it completely. That was the other rule, is to completely plunder it, this and that. Okay, what else do you notice from this passage? His daughter married her Yep. <clears throat> yep. <laughs> family like relations. I'm just going to say it. Family relations. <laughs> Um, this is the period of King Tut the new kingdom King King Tutankhamun um, uh, was the offspring of a brother and sister Tutankhamun I believe also married his sister Um, what do you remember from Genesis Abraham um, Isaac, Jacob they intermarried with their families. Now, in those cases, I think they were half-sisters or cousins. They weren't full sisters. But that's, this is a period where family bloodlines are really important. And so you have a lot of this very close mating. What does that tend to do to a population? <laughs> they are not healthy people. They are not healthy people. This still happens in the world today. Uh-huh. I mean, it's like she was pretty smart. Mm-hmm. I mean, she, she wouldn't inherit these things, so she's getting them this way. We have a savvy person here, don't we? Someone who wants something. The Negev. Who who knows where the Negev is in this map? <coughs> yeah, this is it right here. The Negev or Negev. Negev. This is this is largely desert. So she asked for springs. So if you're inhabiting a desert region, you're going to need a water source. And of course, as as many of you might know, a lot of the water sources, especially for the city of Jerusalem and others, are springs. Springs, water coming up out of the earth. Now, of course, some people used the Jordan and the Sea of Galilee as a water source. You wouldn't use the Dead Sea. That's too salty. Um, But if you were going to survive and grow crops and feed your, your cattle, you needed a water supply. So she's asking for that, this inheritance down here. It's interesting that the Lord said the tribe of Judah will go. Mm-hmm. So then the men of Judah said, hey, Simeon, come help us. Even though God didn't say, I want you to answer. Interesting. What does that suggest to you? Lack. Gosh. You know, if I could say the one problem that people have repeatedly in the Bible, in Old and New Testament, that leads to problems... <coughs> I really, I can't find a better one. He told you, Judah. But we're kind of scared, so, hey, Simeon, you want to come help with us, right? We'll come help you. Ah? <laughs> eh? And then, usually doesn't work out very well. But Some, they, mm-hmm. they have a hard time remembering like, what God has done yeah. for them. You know? Like, yeah. 
Hmm? And I think that's probably why it leads to in judges like, you know, giving people like God is trying to build back up their faith because Getting they don't remember the past. Getting the past. Yep. Yep. We're all good. It's so good. It's so good. Saul learned the wrong, the hard way. That when God says something, He means It's good. It's a good point, Lorna. That means 400 years later, they still haven't learned their lesson, have they? Well, I think part of the problem is every generation at this point mm-hmm. is having to reteach the yeah. lesson. I mean, mm-hmm. if life starts to get comfortable, they mm-hmm. start to get it, and then they fully oh, okay. forget, oh, there's okay. God. And then they, and the same mm-hmm. thing happens today. We start to get comfortable. We start to get, um, you know, more passive. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, there's really, and then all of a sudden, it's like, God, come save us because this is horrible. <laughs> The pattern of judges will repeat itself over and over. And how's <coughs> broken? Is that too harsh? Actual violence. Where the Bible said there's nothing new under the sun. Yep. It really wanted us to pay attention yep. to the fact that we're never going to get out mm-hmm. of ourselves. <laughs> This is it. This is it. <laughs> God allows them to be oppressed by their. Name. Let me. Uh, you know what? I'm going to get to this in a minute. I'm going to take this away for a minute. You're absolutely you right. <laughs> I know. I'm glad I have these baby wipes, uh, Lori, or I would be in big trouble. Okay, I'll get to this. And and this is the biggest glaring one of all, and I've kind of written it already. What do you notice or not notice after Joshua dies? Boom. There is no single person anointed to lead the people of Israel. And they're kind of all on their own. Kind of all on their own. Now, as a critical scholar, you're going to, again, I always ask you this, who wrote it? Who were they writing it to? And why was it written? As we get through the book of Judges, you're going to see a pattern emerge that is going to lead up to something in... Samuel, first and second Samuel. By the time we get to about 1000 BC, what happens? What changes within the Israelite nation? They get a king. They begged for a king. Begged for a king. And when you beg for a king, one of the things you've got to do is make the case that without a king, things are awful. What is the book of Judges doing? Judges is the court case, folks. It's the court case for the ancient writers of the nation of Israel to make the case, 
people, we need a king because things, they is bad. <laughs> they is bad. Let's, let's go ahead and finish this out and we'll make this case a little better. Let's read 17 to 36. Who would like to read that for us? Then Judah joined with Simeon to fight against the Canaanites living in Zephath, and they completely destroyed the town. So the town was named Hormah. In addition, Judah captured the towns of Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron, along with their surrounding territories. The Lord was with the people of Judah, and they took possession of the hill country. But they failed to drive out the people living in the plains who had iron chariots. The town of Hebron was given to Caleb, as Moses had promised, and Caleb drove out the people living there who were descendants of the three sons of Anak. The tribe of Benjamin, however, failed to drive out the Jebusites who were living in Jerusalem. So to this day, the Jebusites live in Jerusalem among the people of Benjamin. The descendants of Joseph attacked the town of Bethel, and the Lord was with them. They sent men to scout out Bethel, formerly known as Luz. They confronted a man coming out of the town and said to him, Show us a way into the town, and we will have mercy on you. So he showed them a way in, and they killed everyone in the town except that man and his family. Later the man moved to the land of the Hittites where he built a town. He named it Luz, which is its name to this day. The tribe of Manasseh failed to drive out the people living in Bethshan, Tanakh, Dor, Iblium, Megiddo, and all their surrounding settlements because the Canaanites were determined to stay in that region. When the Israelites grew stronger, they forced the Canaanites to work as slaves, but they never did drive them completely out of the land. The tribe of Ephraim failed to drive out the Canaanites living in Gezer, so the Canaanites continued to live there among them. The tribe of Zebulun failed to drive out the residents of Kitron and Nahalol, so the Canaanites continued to live among them. But the Canaanites were forced to work as slaves for the people of Zebulun. The tribe of Asher failed to drive out the residents of Akko, Sidon, Elab, Akzib, Helba, Ephik, and Rehob. Instead, the people of Asher moved in among the Canaanites who controlled the land, for they failed to drive them out. Likewise, the tribe of Naphtali failed to drive out the residents of Beth Shemesh and Beth Anath. Instead, they moved in among the Canaanites who controlled the land. Nevertheless, the people of Beth Shemeth and Beth Anath were forced to work as slaves for the people of Naphtali. As for the tribe of Dan, the Amorites forced them back into the hill country and would not let them come down to the plains. The Amorites were determined to stay in the Mount Heres, Ajalon, and Shalabim, but <clears throat> when the descendants of Joseph became stronger, they forced the Amorites to work as slaves. The boundary of the Amorites ran from Scorpion Pass to Selah and continued upward from there. Thank you. Well, part two of what part one was, essentially. <clears throat> They're not and getting the Moses job done. Was yep. kicking them out fully, but then mm -hmm. they brought them back to slave labor anyway, so all of them kept them around. Mm -hmm. Good point. Yep. So it says like when they were stronger, Ah, okay. There you go. There you go. That sure has 
I mean, still today, ramifications. Mm. How so? The fighting has never stopped. Mm -hmm. Ever. Mm -hmm. And it's just always been back and forth. Mm -hmm. and, I mean, nobody has had full control since then. Mm -hmm. So politically, like geopolitically, the people that live in this region are still at war with each other. Mm -hmm. It continues on. It never stops. But theologically, what is the message here? What is the message? And I kind of wrote it down here. Considering that the, the, the Canaanite inhabitants were really kind of the, the epitome of sin and the evil in this world, the failure to drive it out completely. It's kind of like saying, well, you know, name your vice, right? That probably God is not so happy with you engaging in. I'll get rid of most of it, right? But I'm not going to get rid of all of it. Does that ever end well? <laughs> it doesn't stop us from doing it, though. That's it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Just, yeah. I feel like they're, they, God wants to be their leader. Yeah. He wants to be the mm -hmm. leader, not yes. the king. This is a really good point, Laura. And mm -hmm. if they just would have allowed God to be their leader and follow what he I think that we get caught in. I mean, yep. I can see they thought they were being, I mean, they were being selfish in the idea of mm -hmm. wanting slaves. Mm -hmm. But they also thought that they were that they were giving mercy to these people by not killing mm. them, I'm sure. And they convinced themselves Maybe. that this was yeah. a good thing, you know, especially the ones that, like, cast them out and said, you can't mm -hmm. live here. But they didn't mm -hmm. kill them. They just sent them to the mountains. I mean, I could see them thinking they were being nicer than what maybe God wanted them to be and that somehow that was good and not following God's mm -hmm. God, what God said they weren't but sometimes we get what we think is good and what really is what God wants mm -hmm. mixed up in our own heads a lot mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. kind of the whole accepting everybody for who they are yeah. how far do you take mm -hmm. that I think it's a similar place where sometimes we think we're doing good, but we've gone to the point of mm -hmm. ignoring sin or ignoring God's wishes. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you have to look at, yes, we should love everybody. Mm -hmm. God says we should love everybody, but we should never love sin. And this is, this is an important point. Under the New Covenant, we are not ordered to go and slay the Jebusites. No. <laughs> we, we are ordered to love them. However, <clears throat> again, it's very seductive for us to feel like, well, we don't want to hurt feelings. Mm -hmm. Or, you know, this idea of do not judge. Well, yes, I'm not supposed to be the judge that God is of the universe for people who are not Christian brothers and sisters. However, I am supposed to give truth. I'm not supposed to hide what is in this book. I am not supposed to change what's in this book to say, well, the people of the Old Testament were dumb and backwards and old-fashioned, so I'm going to change today what I consider to be righteousness in order to have a more seductive message. There are plenty of people who will give a more seductive message to say, well, this is how I attract more people to my church, for instance. Well, you can't hide truth, and you certainly are not supposed to change it. What else do you guys take from that? Oh, here's a good one here. <clears throat> The men of Judah also took Gaza, Ashkelon, and Ekron. What are those three cities in? 
They're the Gaza Strip, which the Gaza Strip today is Philistia. The Gaza Strip today is the Philistine Empire. <laughs> it's just not an empire anymore. These are the cities that were inhabited by the Philistines, and even in the time of David, he did not take them. He did not fully conquer them. And again, there's a lot of reasons for that. The reasons are they had iron weapons, they were very tenacious, they had better battle tactics. Um, however, when the Israelites did fight them, they didn't wipe them out. They didn't wipe them out. What else do you guys take away from this passage? Well, the nation of Israel really isn't a nation. Ah, okay. Got 12 tribes, and even mm-hmm. those 12 tribes, they didn't really like each other. Yes. And so you don't have, you lost Joshua, you lost your sister. Tribal. You've got 12 bands, basically, and each one is kind of filling on their own. Yep. Yep. It's every tribe for him or herself. They weren't unified for very long. The brothers <coughs> hated each other, you know, and fought mm-hmm. amongst themselves and hated Joshua. I mean, if you look at it, it just always was not a, mm-hmm. there's always been strife. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It isn't shocking that it would mm-hmm. go back to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the United Monarchy only lasted for a few decades uh, <laughs> until it fell apart, too. This is the pattern that we'll see here as we go through. And again, we haven't really gotten into the judge piece quite yet. You'll see the moronic leaders or lack of leadership. Then we'll see this. Now here, we're kind of at the tail end of the Joshua phase, right? The kind of the conquer, the conquer phase. But we're going to start to see the tide turn a little bit here. We're going to start to see how the people around the Israelites will oppress them. They will fight back. They will attack them. What happens with this sin, this lack of leadership, and now the oppression, what do the people do? They cry out. God save us. All right, you're right. We're wrong. We shouldn't have been doing all this sinful stuff. We should have trusted you. We should have had faith. Please save us. And what does God do? God being the merciful God that he is says, okay, I will raise up for you a judge who will come and save you. And that works. And how long does that work for? And sometimes not even that long. Sometimes it's like about 15 minutes, and then right? That's well, yeah. You know, Gideon is the perfect example. Samson is a great Look at them all, you know. There's very few judges here in the book of Judges in which you can say, yeah, that was that was that from start to finish that was a great man or woman of God. Okay. I think we're going to wrap it up. Any final thoughts or questions today? So understand and listen. Understand. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. How else he can we apply? What he says. Okay. He says what he means. We can depend on God's word, absolutely. What? <laughs> what? That is so weird. I can take the proof of God's working in my life in the past and apply it to my future? What are you talking about? That doesn't happen, does it? 
Well, thank you. Welcome to Judges. We'll see you next week.